Hey guys, welcome back. This is the episode we've been wanting to do since the very beginning, and I think waiting for just a little bit made it maybe the best we've done so far. So we purposely went long on it, uh, so sit back, soak it in. Uh, I had a lot of fun editing and uh, polishing this one as well, so it flows just smooth as ice, just like super clean back and forth and everything. Uh, today the intro and the outro music are both by the KVB. Uh, it was the vibe, so uh, enjoy. So. Uh system's working against us for this episode all of a sudden they don't want it to happen it is uh it's the it's the episode google is too scared to allow it to to confront us (laughs) yeah i'm done it's going good man It's um, it's funny. It actually had it has like the second highest opening weekend of like any live action film, but it's one of those movies that dropped off in that wow. second week because it just wasn't hitting. But the hype was so huge after yeah. Get Out. That's interesting. Yeah, and I heard that um, at the end of the day, it did about the same as Get Out. The ratio of the expenses mm. of the film and the payback, but they're expecting much bigger because of the, the success of Get Out, and I think that makes sense. That yeah. like everybody went out to see it at first, and then it didn't, it didn't maintain that. It's getting a little ahead of ourselves, but like I do believe that that is because the film just doesn't quite serve you uh, everything quite as clearly, yeah, and and didactically as Get Out, which yeah. is a movie that I, I really really love, um, and I also really love that Jordan Peele decided to do something different for this one Mm -hmm. a little more allegorical a little more like twilight zone yeah you know like for a lot of people like the message um they just couldn't get it uh because they felt it was a little muddled and they Mm -hmm. they didn't go in with the right expectations yeah or it's just a message that they straight up couldn't confront (laughs) you know like it's it's almost too spooky Mm -hmm. of a premise yeah i think you're right there's there's something disturbing about it at a kind of fundamental level that and that combined with the ambiguity of it you know that it's open and it doesn't tell you exactly what to think i think that is a little too much for a lot of the audience that get out (laughs) reached right yeah Yeah. people don't like doing work yeah i know that's work yeah that's right that's right you can expect like a certain amount a little bit and you can do some give and take but beyond that it's like uh i think you lose a certain portion of your audience but go they just won't go that far yeah yeah so we're here to do the work for people yeah (laughs) um so that you can watch us again and really enjoy yourself and not have to think about it as hard as you thought you would have to (laughs) yeah i like uh, i i like starting these with a drink because then i can start really academic Uh and like coherent and everything and i just get like a little looser yeah that's a good idea (laughs) as the show goes on (laughs) yeah yeah i actually didn't know that he was referencing a lot of these films i think the one obvious one in this is the shining yeah that he references but uh like the way he does it isn't like the kind of annoying 
<laughs> way that like other people will do homage and uh, all that. It's like it's really subtle. It's like technique based mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really respectful. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's slick. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. He he's engaging works through the illusions to them rather than just like throwing out superficial. Like, oh, I saw this and I'm cool signatures here and there, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, do Ready you want to... one syndrome. Do you want to give an intro? Let's do the intro. And then yeah. just basically the same kind of structure. You want to... I could do say a little bit about the McGowan and you could say a little bit about the film and then we could go into, a, into the discussion. Let's do it. All right. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. So... Hello, everyone. Welcome to Doppelgangers on Film, a film theory podcast where we look at the strange, the psychological, the social, and the slimy aspects of all kinds of movies. I'm here with my co-host, Alexander Bovey, PhD, and I'm Thomas Radke, bachelor's degree. Uh, hey, everyone. I, may, I should stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they know our degrees right now. They're, no one's interested. <laughs> this is episode uh, three, and we are talking about Us 2019, uh, the surprisingly underrated uh, contemporary horror classic. Uh, we're going to peel back the layers and see what's underneath. Uh, last time you heard from us, we just released our three debut episodes, and mm-hmm. I think I can speak for both of us in saying that we're uh, stoked that you guys came back um, yes. after all those. Yeah. And if you didn't, if you didn't like episode zero, then you're not hearing this and we don't care. Like we're, <laughs> we're here with the, the lifers. But they don't know we don't care, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we got to get that message out there, get some street cred. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next episode is for all the haters like (laughs) none of whom we have yet as far as i know yeah so do you want to get started so i guess i mean what is there to say about us almost like a twilight zone-esque allegory about doppelgangers coming from beneath the streets of the cities the streets and the ground and the cities yeah and specifically yeah the beach boardwalk in santa cruz Yeah. yeah wreaking havoc on their doubles after uh, lifetimes of exploitation and just being like the broken mirror of the world below. Yeah. Uh, this is the most like doppelgangery film yeah. that we've covered yet. Like there's like oh, yeah. kind of a ghost of those mm-hmm. elements in these other movies we've talked about, like replicants being a doppelganger of humanity and mm-hmm. aliens being uh, these doubles as well. But this is like, this is the real doppelganger shit. This is like the original paranoia of the doppelgangers that like someone who looks just like you uh, is out. And for whatever reason, you feel menaced by them or you want to menace them. <laughs> and the world's not going to be right until there's only one of you left standing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is, you know, it, it, you're right. It is definitely, this is the doppelganger episode and the, you know, uh, I, I think one of the great movies about doubling that we have, it certainly in recent years, um, and also, yeah, I like, I mean, it really just, I, doubling is an interesting theme. It's it's an archety- kind of an archetypal theme. Um, but I think it's also just the idea of doubling is a motif <clears throat> that's become more popular in, in the modern era, probably, you know, I, I mean, I like to think about it in terms of, you know, since the romantic period, it seems to have become more central. Uh, and I think mm. that's that goes hand in hand with the idea of the uncanny, which I think has also become... <laughs> 
um, more prevalent in artwork since the Romantic period. Uh, if people are interested, yeah. uh, there's a great theorist, Mladen Dalar is his name, and he does a one of the great sort of psychoanalytic takes on the uncanny. Uh, and he writes about it specifically in, in a kind of general sense, but also specifically in relation to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And, and that's a great, you mm. know, example, because that that too is about doubling, right? One of the things yeah. that uh, between Dr. Frankenstein and the creature, there's a, a really powerful doubling going on in that novel that often you don't see in the uh, reproductions of it. But, um, but yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think us um, really uses that theme. It, it's an doubling is, is a motif. It's an archetype, right? It's like an archetypal motif. It's a very deep seated in both culturally and the unconscious, but <clears throat> that doesn't mean it's going to produce something good. You have to do something really interesting with it. And I think Peel died that mm. you really dives deep into it and really captures the uncanniness of it in a way that you don't see too often. And I think that's one of the cool things about the doubling theme uh, in this film. Yeah, I mean, like the only other movie that I think is able to get so deep into the psychology of it and in a very different way, like this is uh, an ensemble cast and it like mm-hmm. tackles like the kind of family idea. And But uh, uh, mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve's uh, Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, yeah. Uh, is also like fucking extraordinary for that. We're like, yeah. um, one thing I noticed while watching this movie is that like so much, you have so much like really dense, incredible setup uh, that also doesn't manage to lose the horror tone for the first uh, 20, 30 minutes. And then the rest of the film is actually like extremely kinetic, like not much dialogue, but it's just unraveling mm-hmm. all of this um uh, you know, like all the imagery all the stuff that have been set up in that like uh first half in a really extraordinary way that like lets you linger uh in in all the uncanny like feelings and symbols of it mm-hmm. and it's all just like imagery and sound and like blood and speed and mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's got a really interesting timing and momentum of the film right the way the narrative yeah. unfolds um, it's in a way like it's so tight symbolically and thematically. There's so much stuff recurring throughout the film and images that really tie it together. Um, but there's a certain simplicity and looseness to the way the narrative unfolds. But it's interesting because I love that because it plays with your expectations a lot. I mean, if you think about this film, um, I mean, yeah, the way the way it's sort of the narrative um, transpires and unfolds from beginning to end, especially when I first saw it in the theater, you get a strange sense that like the movie has several um, arcs. And in fact, yeah, I I mean, in a way you could almost say that little tiny bit before the screen credits, um, before the opening credits is almost like a little short story. And then you jump right to later and then it comes back and then, um, when it comes back, you see um, there's you know the the the, the tethered break into um, the Wilsons into this family's yeah. uh, vacation house, and you know they sort of like <laughs> battle, and it and it seems like almost the sequence is insane. Yeah, it's a it's great sequence. So yeah. scary. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's one of the best. <clears throat> and then, you know, if you think about like from that to the point where. Um, they escape 
And I don't know, like around there or, or yeah, I would say like when they escape from the house, right. And they make it out. It's almost like yeah. that could have been a whole movie. And in fact, yeah. it, I mean, it very, right. Like you can really imagine that as just drawn out more as that's the whole way. And it ends with them escaping or somebody dies or whatever. And then mm-hmm. it ends. Oh, yeah. And that's, I remember yeah. uh, actually watching the, the trailers. Mm-hmm. I really did think that it was just going to be, yeah. Like this home invasion film. Yeah. That was going to be it. And I remember actually being in the theater and when the home invasion starts and it's so intense and like it's mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like just um, and I like, you know, there's there's a lot of like good play, too, because it's it's them trying to break into the house. Like, mm-hmm. like usually there's such like a simple dynamic going on there. Like there's this one movie, Hush, which is another uh, pretty great home invasion film. But like you've got the aggressor who's a bad guy and you've got uh, the person who's being attacked, who is, um, I think, deaf. She might be. I think she's deaf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she can't like hear the guy like trying to break in and oh, all this right. stuff, yeah. but then like ends up using it to her advantage. Uh, and but in this one, it's so much more uh, complex because you have this allegory of like what it is to be the nuclear family in America mm-hmm. and like that, it like that, that itself produces suffering, like having mm-hmm. that level of affluence. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and then here's the yeah. other people, uh, who might may as well just be you, uh, were, were it not for like the luck of, of being born, uh, trying to get in and like yeah this is only i think my just my second time watching it um and so on that second watch i I got like a whole lot out of it like my notes are immense (laughs) yeah yeah no i think that's great point that like and you know that really speaks to this question when you were saying like what a lot of the suspense and tension and even horror of the film comes from its meanings, its allegor- the allegorical undertones. And I think that one of the cool things is the progression that Peel made from Get Out to this. Um, and, you know, so that, so, and I, I think two aspects of what you said. The other one is like the idea of that, the, the family, the nuclear family, the American family. So some of the things are like, what is this film doing? It, Peel is obviously interested in a kind of social critique and commentary. We see that right from the beginning with Get Out. But people are a little yeah. bit more confused about what us, what is that in us, <laughs> right? And so I think yeah. that's a good thing to talk about. And one of the things you mentioned is the family. And I think that's a definitely a clear one. I think uh, the, the, the American dream, the nuclear family, um, uh, and, and you pointed out like, you know, status class and class status and capitalism and um how the film comments on those things for sure and the the idea that um but again the idea that there's a kind of allegorical underpinning to peel's work um maybe allegory is not the right word but these these metaphors that resonate through his work and again i think there's a really cool progression because if you look at get out right it's it seems people could buy into that because it was pretty clear cut and it was very much resonating with the discourse, the conversation that was sort of bubbling beneath the surface at the time uh, and and has risen to the surface more, which is to say race, but also like, I think get out really kind of 
took on the idea of racism and hypocrisy and neoliberalism, right? Like yeah. with all that stuff about, oh, we love Obama, we love Obama, we, you know, we go, and, all this <laughs> yeah. and then there's this terrible undertone of race going on and violence at the same time. Um, and so, you know, the film really could kind of like work through those social tensions in some way and really, um, really bring them to light in a way. But I think what's interesting about us is it's much more universal than that. It's, it's about, yeah. you know, the, the kind of anxieties and, and violence underpinning our culture almost ontologically, you know, and the, the idea of the family yeah. and uh, the, the American dream and happiness and satisfaction and success mm-hmm. and what it means. Um, and, and also, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I recently heard uh, a short interview with Jordan Peele. He's he's a wonderful um, person to hear speak and to hear interviewed. He's really interesting. And yeah. um, he mentioned, you know, one of the ideas of the film, thinking about like what he wanted to get across is like the idea of pointing the finger, you know, back at yourself, that people really, rarely in our culture want to point the finger back at themselves and look inward and think about their own complicity and guilt and mm-hmm. um, blame and things. And you know, there's that that little moment where I love that he just sort of like puts it out there. The kid has that little joke about when you point at me, you know, yeah, fingers how many fingers point yeah. back at you? <laughs> yeah, no, super good. Yeah, I, I I think it. Um, yeah, you're totally right about. I mean, it's it's funny how people still misinterpret even Get Out, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this guy like goes to stay with his like his. Uh, like girlfriend's racist family and it's like it's really not that clear cut like they're you know they're neoliberals like they are there and it's 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 such a great commentary and for this he goes a step further where i think it it, to me reads as an attack on you know like yeah capitalism and like society uh as as it is currently organized um in a really bold way uh that doesn't take and you know anyone out of the equation who, who experiences affluence? I, I think I've heard other interviews with him where he talks about people like uh, like Beyonce and Jay Z and even Spike Lee have this kind of idea of like black prosperity is winning. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like if you make money right. as a black person, you're vindicating mm-hmm. the struggle of your ancestors um, mm-hmm. and all this. And he's like, I, not really, because there's still like it's it's reproducing the violence that mm-hmm. like happened to our ancestors and just because we're getting lucky now doesn't mean that mm-hmm. there's other people who aren't suffering in a really similar way mm-hmm. who are just out of sight and out of mind right, now right. Yeah. Uh, yeah who get to create the literal foundations of of uh the world that we walk on mm-hmm. you know yeah that's right you're just profiting from the same system that had oppressed you or, or those before you in, in a similar way, yeah. and that doesn't change the system. And if it's, it's a iniquity in the system and a violence in the system, then there's someone else on the other end of that. If it's not you, and I think that's yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, it might be a good place to bring in the the text for today a little bit. Um, totally, because that was you know as we're pairing uh, each week a text with a film, and this week we. We were looking at Todd McGowan's book, Capitalism and Desire, uh, which is a great book. I highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. It's very it's very clear. It's a very for a theory work. I feel like it's just sort of straightforward, um, 
you don't really need to have, I don't think, right? You don't need to have much background to. No, I found this one of the most like, yeah, like I, I listened to a chunk of it on audiobook and mm-hmm. he's done a handful of podcasts about it and it's available for free as a PDF. Like mm-hmm. the guy's a great, he's, yeah. he's about like disseminating this information for free as much as he can. And it's, it, it scans about as well as like, you know, Mark Fisher or some of the other like great yeah. contemporary writers uh, mm-hmm. who can just get that message out there and you don't need to have read like uh, Hegel or whatever. To, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he can talk about Hegel too. And you don't have to need, have read Hegel. I th- feel like, right. Exactly. Like he can just, he kind of just, uh, he kind of translates it to very accessible, understandable terms. Like here's my point that he- I'm taking from Hegel. Um, and here's what he says. And, and I feel like it's very, you can kind of get it and it's, it's valuable just for that alone, I think, you know, but um, yeah. so I, I thought it would be interesting. You know, you could kind of, it's, it's a book that has it, it's full of insights about capitalism. It translates psychoanalytic theory uh, into a, an interpretation of capitalism in a very clear cut way. So you could, uh, every chapter is great. It's full of insights. So you could kind of pick a page almost or a chapter, but I thought uh, one chapter that was kind of cool that made me want to pair it with this film was the chapter on um, the gaze. Is it shielding our gaze, uh, shielding our eyes from the gaze? Is that it? Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, so I thought maybe I would just say a little bit about that. Yeah. Shielding eyes from the gaze. Uh, maybe just a, a, a quick sentence or two about that to think about why I, th- I thought it was a good um, text. If you want to read it and think about how films help explain the theory and vice versa. Um, so McGowan uses the concept of the gaze as a way to think about capitalism and a critique of capitalism. And so what he's interested is that the, the idea of the gaze uh, for psychoanalysis is the idea shows you that uh, the, the, the visible world as we see it, it's, it relates to the visual sphere, right? Particularly. And the gaze, often we think about the gaze as has to be somebody gazing or a look. It actually doesn't have to be that. It's just a met, that's sort of a metaphor for the structure of the visual world of what we see when we look out the world, the visual sphere. And what it shows us is that the visual sphere more than even more than any other of the senses provide presents us with this image of a world that's objective an objective reality independent of me uh, with a, that's grounded in this objective truth. Um, and, concealed in that is the gaze and the gaze is this what what the gaze reveals to you is that in fact the visual sphere already presupposes your look it's already um influenced by your desires right yeah um you what you see is already influenced by what you desire to see it's not an objective reality and and so when in the strange moments where, so the gaze is kind of always there in the background and it's always, it's always uh, elided or emitted from your world. Otherwise it would look strange. And so in those uncanny moments, suddenly you see the world in this way that almost like it's looking back at you because it's already, you're contained in it already. You're there, your desires already forming and shaping and influencing what you actually see. And so it's an uncanny thing. And so what I like about McGowan's, 
addition to this is that he takes it to think about what he calls the capitalist gaze. And and it's a wonderful way to think about capitalism is similar to the visual sphere in the sense that it presents itself as this kind of natural, objective world independent of us. That is to say, like, when we think about capitalism, and, and especially for people who are proponents of capitalism, but I think for all of us, in some sense, even even as critics, almost unconscious, uncan- um, unconsciously, um, have this sense that it's sort of like the default. It's it's the natural state. It's the, it's the social system. If you don't interfere with it, if you don't distort it through political force and will and other systems that you're trying to write, that if you just let it be, it will be capitalism. And the capitalist gaze are those moments where you see, in fact, that your desire is bound up in the system, that it's a it's a unconscious act of violence or will or or in itself a a distortion to create this iniquitous system capitalism it's not a default and so you're complicit in it your your every will and gesture is always a political act to maintain this this system and uh, one of the things i like about that is that first of all you know it shows you that you know mcgoin suggests that there's moments where the the gaze reveals itself and moments of for instance of crisis and contradiction that become uh, open in the system. And also that film, for instance, can give you that. And I think that's, what's interesting about this film. You know, it's so much about these two families, right? This, this one, um, black American family, it's a central family and then their friends. Um, so uh, yeah, played by, uh, Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth Moss uh, in- yeah. incredibly. Yeah. 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 She's great in this, isn't she? Um, yeah. Yeah. So much great acting in this. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I sometimes kind of divided on Elizabeth Moss. You know, I, 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 I like her sometimes, <laughs> yep. but sometimes I think she's over the top and just doesn't click for me. Well, you know, she's a Scientologist, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. probably a big part of why, right? Uh, why, yeah. yeah. Well, really weird. Uh, that, I mean, like her whole career, like from this to Handmaid's Tale to like Mad Men is so weird that she's, you know, like in these movies about like repressive systems. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Doing all of that. And it's like, oh, is there something going on here, like under the surface or is your agent just like a weird, you know, like how is this? Yeah. yeah. How is this happening? Yeah. I'm fascinated. It is. Um, yeah, yeah. It's really her whole thing. Yeah. It is. It's Tim Heidecker, though, is untouchable. That dude is uh, a just fantastic comedian uh-huh. and an open socialist. And uh-huh. like, yeah, he's dope. Which is show yeah. Tim and uh, Eric, is it? Tim and Eric, yeah. yeah he uh, was just recently on I Think You Should Leave, the uh, comedy uh-huh. short or the skit show uh-huh. on Netflix, uh, which is fantastic. And he has a podcast right now, too, I believe. Oh, cool. Yeah. Produced by one of the great YouTubers, uh, yeah. Vic Berger, yeah. who makes these incredible like edits that uh, kind of defined like the Trump era to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all my shout outs. We can get back to Todd McGowan. Yeah, well, no, it's just you know I, I think that like that st- the film is very structured around that, right? Like the stuff that they have, you know, that the family uh, that you know Gabe Wilson, they you know they they you know his boat for instance is a big one you know just the yeah the car and the boat and the you know we I've, i went and got the boat but then there's um the there's um was it josh tyler the, the character tim plays um who's always one up to him they've clearly got a better vacation house right. and he's uh-huh. like telling him about the boat like oh i bet you forgot to get 
um, <laughs> the flare or something with the boat or, you know, yeah. and, and this and that. And, um, and it's about the status of what you have really suddenly, you know, it, it shifts into that second, that main part of the film. It's about the status of like what you have, um, uh, your stuff, your material things and your vacation home and the fact that you can take a, take a summer vacation and all this stuff. Um, uh, and then that whole, that whole thing becomes very uncanny. Right. And I think that, yeah. That's maybe one way to think about this film is that it it makes all of these things we were talking about, the, the American family, the American dream, capitalism, um, success itself, right? This it, As defined by those things, suddenly seem really uncanny. Like there's something uh, lurking, there's this shadow world to it that, that you can't, that you're tethered to, you can't break away from. Um, yeah. And you don't even know it's there. It just, suddenly it's there and it's been there all along and it just becomes very uncanny and you can't shake that now um yeah yeah no it's such a great thing and it's such a um i i already said the word bold but like uh it's one of those great things that i think art and especially cinema can do where it it um literalizes and makes like concrete and real um these things that already are but are just really difficult for whatever reason either psychologically or societally or mm -hmm. whatever uh to to visualize and to actually like fully put together and, and and collate uh within the human brain um of just like i mean yeah, we, we've talked about it already but like so it's it's um just to lay it out a little clearer it's about these doppelgangers rising up from uh massive underground tunnel networks mm -hmm. and like a lot of them work to kill their devil but like in, in a twist on that they they uh work to do this insane and 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 fantastic visual of linking their hands together across the entirety of america wearing mm -hmm. blood red jumpsuits yeah. um in order to send a message and it's really funny that like i think um the message is, is, is so clear that I think it went over people's heads mm -hmm. of, uh, <laughs> um, because, you know, it's, it is just like, uh, these people, you know, their exact doubles literally acting out, which is one of the craziest aspects of this film to me is that they're, they're underneath the ground and they are pantomiming mm -hmm. everything that people do. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and and it gets into some really horrific territory with like uh, C sections and everything done without anesthetic yeah. because they are just like out there, you know, they're they're just underground pantomiming. Elizabeth Moss has scars on her face because of the pantomimed uh, plastic surgery yeah. that was done to her, right. and then there's just other things that are uh, much more mundane, like the, all the people on the on the theme park are like going around in a circle yeah, uh, on like a, a merry-go-round or something. And, and then there's just all of them. Yeah. And a roller yeah. coaster and they're just like walking in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, beyond like the kind of crazy visuals of all that is, is the kind of kernel of truth of like what capitalism really is, which is the exploitation of people uh, in order to, um, not just produce commodities, but produce like life, mm -hmm. like a lifestyle mm -hmm. uh, for the people who by circumstance are benefited by these things. And the system is built so that like 
those other people, the people who produce those things for us are, they're kept silent, they're kept away, Mm -hmm. uh, they're kept either in other countries or in cities and places that we don't care about or Mm -hmm. or, um, demonized in such a way. And to see those people do this thing that is uh, almost more abstract. It's not just like violent revolution. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's violent, like psychological play. It's like this, this kind of pathology acted out upon uh, just a, a learned violence, you know, mm-hmm. just exploding out onto the world and not some, and it, you know, well, it is organized, yeah. but it's not like, well, it's, uh, a, it's around that yeah. Hands Across America event, right? And also, like, I think you're totally yeah. right, like, about the end. I love the ending of this movie. And I think you're right about there's something just blatantly, there's something just really blatant about that that, that I think people almost refuse to get, which is that <laughs> that scene of them mimicking Hands Across America with this dark mimicry, this kind of reverse of the whole thing where it was originally um, – bourgeois and well-off citizens holding hands for the oppressed, you know, coexist bumper sticker. Yeah. 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 Right. With these, like (laughs) this show, this kind of basically like a a promotional stunt for hunger. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, again, in the, in the end, you have this kind of strange reverse mimicry, this dark mimicry of a reversal of the situation where the oppressed are now violently taking that position. They're holding hands across America. But the thing I think is so blatant and so amazing and radical in this thing is it's clearly depicted as a liberation moment. The music is beautiful. Yes. The, the sweeping flying pan shot over the countryside. And then you see these. So awesome. It's so awesome. And the song, Les Flores, right? Uh, was it Minnie Riperton? Um Mm-hmm. It's all about being liberated, right? <laughs> like in a new day, the dream of a new day and all this stuff. It's just fantastic because these are the, yeah. these are the, you know, from one perspective, these are the crazy mutant zombie creatures that emerge from underground that are murdering <laughs> everybody, right? But, but it's their yeah. new day, right? It's, there's something very liberational uh, about that. And the structure of the film too is very interesting because you have even from the from both the social and the psychoanalytic viewpoint because you have these in a sense you have this double plot going on um, or at least this sort of structuring narrative between um, an individual and society where uh, Adelaide right this has this childhood trauma where she's bumps into a doppelganger of her, she gets lost and she gets bumps into a doppelganger of herself. And then she yeah. goes supposedly, and, and there's this twist we'll come back to, but supposedly she goes back to her <laughs> life, recovers, and then there's a the there's a there's a um what Freud calls a return of the repressed, right? There's a repetition. It the past yeah. comes back in the form of the little girl that she bumped into the doppelganger who comes back now as and as you said um, mirrored, mimicked, shattered her whole life. And the trauma has to be relived, grappled with. And then, of course, she has to go back underground to the site of the trauma. It's very psychoanalytic. You've got to almost relive it, work yeah. through it, and then come out again. But there's a great reversal, which will come back to the twist. But then I want to point out here is that simultaneously, you have this same structural repetition of the social level where we, the, the movie starts out 
in a TV, which I think is a great, right? Like you, the first thing you see is a TV yeah. and on the TV, there's this promotional event, Hands Across America, which is this great moment of hypocrisy, right? It's this capitalist thing like, oh, we're all so great. This is a unity, the whole country getting together to, to, to raise money for the poor, right? Well, if you, the hypocrisy is if you really cared about the poor, the whole country would rise up and uh, right, undo capitalism itself, which has created this iniquity, which creates this massive um, dis- in, in, um, unequal distribution of wealth that creates all this poverty and all this wealth. But instead, you make this great show that becomes an album and you know Coca-Cola, I think, sponsored it and all these other big corporations, and it becomes a big fundraising event. And then, but then the great thing is that that too comes back, right? Like that social event at the beginning comes back at the end uh, um, in reverse in the oppressed standing up, um, rising up. And then they do, they complete the act that was repressed in that first promotional social event, which is to say, rather than just looking great, and, and getting more value for the bourgeoisie by looking like they're donating something to hunger. The, the, the oppressed are saying, like, no, actually, let's actually tear down the system um, yeah. uh, and, and yeah. upset the whole social order completely and redo this thing. This mm-hmm. is our moment in the sun, as it were, our flowers um, blooming. Yeah, which I love. Um, there's two incredible movies in the 2010s that featured Lafleur. Uh, oh. One of which is this, and the other one is uh, Inherent Vice. Uh, oh, right. By uh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. PTA. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, both very different contexts. Yeah. Um, but they're like both in my like top five films of the decade. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great taste there. Uh-huh. I think actually I do want to launch into spoiler territory because I think yeah. so much of this film is worth talking about with that in mind. Um, so I guess pause Absolutely. here, go watch the movie if you haven't already or uh, keep going and get like a little bit more of a, uh, of a enlightened <laughs> uh, spoilery lens on it. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, so there's there's two things about like what you just mentioned that I think are, are really uh, interesting and that I caught on this second watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is what you're uh, kind of uh, alluding to, which is that um, like it's it's that twist that Lupita Nagno's character, the one that has raised this family and and was the child who received speech therapy and everything, uh, was one of the tethered. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's her, I almost said real, but that's not correct at all. Her like surface self is the one that is forced into the, into the, the, uh, the tunnels mm-hmm. and, and underground. And it, it makes it, it's this cast everything in such a fascinating light. Uh, it, it reminded me of um, the line from Parasites where someone says like, oh, she's really nice for a rich person. And so uh, one of the other members of the family says she's nice because she's rich. Mm-hmm. Because she can afford to not have to be cruel, because she has her her, her needs accounted for and and mm-hmm. is not traumatized every day. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, comfort, yeah. you know, creates comfort for 
everybody, yeah. you know, and that, that was really just fascinating. Like the, the, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's a great point because that is underlying this whole idea of capitalism and success and that, um, and the myth of like the oppressed, which are like, you know, you mentioned demonized. I mean, literally demonized or even like, you know, that they're depicted as like almost animalistic with the grunts of, uh, I love how everyone has two names. So it's Gabe or Abraham yeah. is the other name. Right. And so his, yeah. his tethered Abraham grunts and howls in this way. Um, and so you have this like myth of like the good bourgeois middle class capitalist or <laughs> upper class. And then you've got this oppressed animalistic creature violence and the violence of those oppressed. But then you're, you're that just throws a wrench in the whole thing. Exactly. Where this character is actually this this mother is the center of the whole narrative is actually one of the shadows or tethered, uh, whatever you want to call them, uh, who switched yeah. places. They, they're reverse places. It's a great. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good. That's that's something I think you're right. That's something um, that you can't resolve. Right. Like not just in the film, but outside the like you watch the film and you're like, yeah, that that just deconstructs the whole idea um uh this whole kind of stereotype of good and uh and evil good and bad people and stuff yeah. um it's also interesting because that that twist uh it's what they sometimes what a uh, term sometimes using psychoanalysis is um quil- that the quilting point where something happens mm. that suddenly forces you to reinterpret what happened before it yeah, and so this this film does that too, and uh, and it's it's one of the reasons it's a great movie to rewatch because suddenly you see this and it's you're just totally <laughs> changes the way that you had interpreted the whole film, and you're kind of reeling with this reinterpretation, like wow, wait, what's going on? Uh, and then you can watch it again and have that knowledge, and it works really well yeah. the second and third time where you're saying, although I I've also only seen this one twice. Um, uh, myself too, but but you know I can see reseeing it uh, works really well, totally. and it and that that narrative too is interesting because if you think about that idea of um, progress, also right, like the, both for the family and the individual and socially, like part of this American dream is based on founded on the idea of progress right you can jump classes it's not just that you could be wealthy but you could start out with nothing you can make a lot and like for instance adelaide is a young you know here's this young black girl who in the 80s family when she was a young child looked like it was more of a working class family right uh the guy seems to be drinking a lot and their you know their their big day out is just that local little carnival and It just seems like generally it's more of like a working class scenario and that she's more bourgeois middle class. And so she's, you know, married and and happy and successful in her family. They have a home and they've got stuff. But in fact, it's not her. It's Umbre, the other who switched places with her. And then she now, right, the the young black girl who's supposed to be the middle class bourgeois subject later she is now coming back to start a revolution (laughs) Uh, the adelaide as you said the real adelaide or the surface or however you want to think about it uh who was taken switched to taking the oppressed it now comes back and leads the whole oppressed in some sense it's not clear that she but she's kind of seems like this sort of like leader um yeah one of the things for instance is the apparently or it seems to be suggested that the hands across america is partly 
inspired by her shirt, right? Because she was wearing that shirt, Hands Across America, underneath uh, the Thriller shirt. Um, uh-huh. And then she comes back and uh, and so that would have been like the last thing she remembered, right? From the world up, up above. And then, yeah, well, she, I think she also said seeing the commercials for it and, yeah, and so on. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And so then they come back and they recreate it. And she, so she's at the heart of this revolution leading these um, tethered to overthrow the upper world. Yeah. Yeah. And to like, yeah. And to like, just make this statement and, yeah, it's 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 extraordinary. Yeah. Um, one thing that was, uh, yeah, it, it's it's so interesting. I, the the reason I compared it so much to the Twilight Zone is it has, you know, like that that quilting point, like you mentioned, where it just it reorganizes and um, puts in a new light everything that had come before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Rod Serling also like famously wrote the uh, the twist ending to um, Planet of the Apes. Uh, oh yeah which this is like on par yeah. i think with that twist ending yeah. you know where not only is it like an insane twist mm-hmm. uh but it really uh brilliantly uh illuminates so much about the movie and not just like contributes to replay value and everything but also uh like makes this this awesome it's this like dagger at the end that like (laughs) uh uh, of social commentary um yeah yeah because yeah yeah like like you said you know you kind of said that like the the people resemble these like zombies almost and like they are like i think there's like deliberate references to like night of the living dead Uh and stuff in this movie but you know one of the secret points of night of the living dead that's like on the surface of this is that they're actually like just as human as as we are mm-hmm. and everybody's is exactly as human and uh capable of the same amount of suffering and also the same amount of of prosperity and kindness and and like yeah and all of that and it, it's it's really wild yeah i don't know it, it seems like almost a banal thing to say like everybody's just as human as as the next human like <laughs> uh but to see but- it rendered I think is, is a different thing entirely. Well, yeah. And also, but that's right. And also like, that's at the heart of the, what's so interesting about the doubling motif, right? It's like, you're inextricable from the other, right? Like whatever, whoever yes. you are in some way, you're like this metaphor of tethered. He sort of captures this, the almost the sim- elegant simplicity, but also the mythological nature of that myth, that, that motif that you are, you have you you're linked to the oppressed you're 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 um inextricable from the other right and and uh and you're bound up with them in some way and i think what's so fascinating is like that's what makes his comment feels comment about looking pointing the figure within looking within which could be kind of a trite thing in some way but i think that's what makes it almost ontological right it's like it brings you to this confrontation of this uncanny, almost horrifying, but fascinating thing that you're inextricable from the other on in this ontological way from your other in your society, uh, whether it's your neighbor, you're better or you're oppressed or what have you. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's interesting. It speaks to that, that way in which he really, he really um, explores the motif of doubling really well because doubling always involves also a kind of splitting, right? 
Like you're, mm. you're double because you're split and you're split because you're double. And, um, <laughs> and this one too, right. They, there's a, there's not a whole bunch of explanation, which I like. There's like suggested things. And at one point, uh, I think it's red who says like, um, the, the, there's this group we could talk about. It's interesting. This backstory is like who created these, un- these, uh, tethered. Um, it was some kind of, uh, group that had this weird. Yeah. Plot. It's, it's funny how like briefly it's, uh, it's, it's touched on. Yeah. yeah. It's like a group of scientists who are trying to like control people and puppet them. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the project is a failure and they abandon it. Yeah. And, and it's not clear who, like what scientists, I mean, I just sort of imagine there's some kind of corporate world of some corporation or some powerful yeah. entity, some operation paperclip. Yeah type guys yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) right right with all this money and wealth and capital to 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 develop this scheme that's not governmental right so it must be some kind of wealth uh linked or or corporate uh thing and um and so they and so uh they they make this attempt and adelaide points out they were able to recreate the body but not the soul or something like that right so there's a sense in which you're linked to your tethered other and so you're actually you're you're doubled, but you're also split. You're split between yourself and this other version of yourself, and that's that clearly has this ontological gives an ontological dimension to that idea of like pointing within, right? Because by you know by point by looking within, you're also seeing that you're always complicit with this yeah. social thing. But also uh, at the even at the plot level or the narrative level with the social commentary it's interesting because um again you know coming back to my idea of like repetition that something comes back from the past to to haunt you and and to threaten you um and it's interesting to look at how different it is with the two families because uh we've talked a bit about race and inequity and i think this that's kind of what the film's about and it's inextricable from race right but it also it almost makes race itself ontological because as you were saying like you know okay so um if a if a black family for instance enters into the upper echelons of capitalism does that somehow save you know the system or make it look good or something no because it's recreating this this difference based on otherness. And I think race is really just bound up with the sense of an otherness that's inequitable. Yeah. But it's also interesting because it does play out as race in the film, right? Because it's interesting if you look at how the different families deal, relate to the past selves, that the so the past trauma that's them, that they're complicit with, that suddenly emerges into daylight in this uncanny way to threaten you. How do they, how do they respond to that? Well, the white family um, just completely wants to deny its existence, right? They want to, yeah. to deny its reality. It's not there. You know, Elizabeth Moss tells um, uh, tells her husband, "Go, what? There's some sounds outside. Go look." He's like, "No, no, no! I'm going to turn up the music and drink more alcohol and sit here in my lovely little <laughs> fancy fancy house and um, uh, vacation home with all the top technical stuff like Ophelia." Uh-huh. Uh, that oh my, that um, is so yeah. good. Yeah, Ophelia, call the police. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's okay. That's, that's, playing that's, fuck the police. <laughs> That's the iconic. That's such an iconic moment, right? And it's it's, awesome. it's just right when it happens, you know, bang! It's just perfect. You know, that is an iconic moment. Uh, whether I know people, some people love the film, some people hate it. That moment itself yeah. is just a great, 
example of how iconic some of the moments are in this film. And that's that's one that right away stands out like this is just a this speaks to our day and age so well. Ophelia called the police yeah. and <laughs> and the Alexa device starts singing plays this plays fuck the police. Uh huh. Well, it's crazy because it, it also happens during like I think Jordan Peele's like most savage scene to date. Like, yeah. it is. It's so. Uh, it's so quick too. Just isn't it great? Merciless yeah. and quick mm-hmm. and and bloody and um, in a way that I think like a lot of uh, other like modern horrors even afraid to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's disturbing because it happens. <laughs> He's such a master of timing and tempo and rhythm um you know the the the, uh the wilson family you know um they have they've been going through this long struggle almost like a game right it's basically a game that they have to engage in yeah he's tethered in order to figure it out and try to out trick them and then um what's the name of the other family it's uh, the tyler family right with elizabeth moth yeah. and tim uh, uh they just suddenly are killed in a matter of seconds really it's just like all of a sudden yeah it's like they're in this beautiful con- very con- right that the house is a super hyper modern technologically advanced very safe seeming house and they're in there you know kind of bickering with each other one second and then next second they're just bloody corpses all over the place right yeah um, and then they and then they all die again yeah in like the second most brutal sequence <laughs> yeah, that, so they, right, they keep dying <laughs> yeah and, uh, but i think again to come back to that point right isn't that interesting that the black family they have to engage their past it's not easy for them either but they have to they've got to confront themselves the way in which yeah. they're bound up and complicit, their, their past, the trauma of their past, they've got to kind of play by the rules of the game. I think it's interesting how quickly Adelaide's like, go off and play with them and play your little trick and like letting your kids go because she just understands you just have to play by the rules of this game and try to turn it around. You have to engage it. Yeah. Whereas the the other family is just like, it's not there. Just ignore or, or feel it. Call the police, right? Like get help. Just call, yeah. I'm just going to call on the big other like, automated help. robot servant. Call the cops. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And they, and they call the cops and, um, uh, it's, they're like 20 minutes yeah. out, you know? Yeah. And they're right away uh, like, okay, just, we're on our own. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. And I think it speaks to like, yeah, where, like I was saying, like the message about like blackness and affluence, uh, and, and, and is a much more complicated, uh, story in this country than whiteness and affluence, Mm -hmm. like whiteness and affluence in this country is, is extremely straightforward. Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, it, it is, um, pretty direct, pretty sustained violence. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's exactly the way it's acted out in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just great. Mm-hmm. And I think that also speaks to uh, another thing I wanted to uh, bring up, uh, which I don't know, uh, you probably caught, uh, but there's a bunch of references to Native American history and Native American myth in this film and Native American imagery. Oh, yeah. Which I found really awesome uh uh this time around uh, like specifically the fun house that mm-hmm. um adelaide goes into in the very beginning uh is called shaman's vision quest yeah <laughs> um that's right but that's when she opens it in the 80s uh and and over the speakers uh, uh the hopi creation myth plays yeah um 
And mm-hmm. uh, I found that really fascinating yeah. and like an excellent satire of, of American society uh, because like here you have this like cartoon cartoonized version of the creation myth mm-hmm. of uh, uh, a society that was decimated by white colonial, you know, like powers and, and then, you know, and instead like a sick parody is constructed on top of it and like we're that sick parody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's, it's, it gets this other layer, which I thought was so awesome where it's it painted over yeah. again in the two thousands yeah. as Merlin's vision quest or something like that. Yeah. Uh, That's right. But- <laughs> and it's some, yeah. I can't remember exactly what it is. Merlin's something. Is it Merlin's fi- something quest? Merlin's whatever. Yeah. And in the first one, it's funny because it said, find yourself. Right, there's this sign that says "Find Yourself," yeah. and it's where she runs into her doppelganger. Um, but you're right; I think that's a great like the the '80s. You know, uh, they weren't they weren't you know to bring back McGowan's you know idea like the gaze wasn't as concealed right <laughs> in the '80s. It was there for you to yeah. see more with the, the 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 racism that they didn't sort of like quote unquote know enough you know to kind of be ashamed of right <laughs> uh and now it gets cleaned up and the gaze more and more becomes erased from capitalism until you get these yeah. uncanny moments and that's a great one it's like the same place and you're coming to it with this now with this knowledge that it hides this secret and um yeah Did, were there were there yeah. particular scenes that you particularly liked or or found particularly suggestive um, there was like, I, I'm trying to think of exactly what it was. I just remember when it came to the, um, like shaman's vision quest thing, there was this great, uh, when they, they painted over it with like the Merlin thing, yeah. but there's like still a guy in like a headdress or something and all this like native imagery yeah, that's right. on like the surrounding paint. So it's this really like kind of hack job, <laughs> which I think is another great, uh, like kind of knife in the side mm-hmm. of, of neoliberalism where it's just it's it's such a thin veneer that's put over um like the the racist horror of this country uh-huh. you know yep. um yeah. yeah 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 i think that's great that's right and again like it's the that that sense that your your world seems to just present everything is as it is it's uh, objectively you know um, revealed before you, but then it's in the repetition in the past um, yeah. uh, that 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 emerges something, some gaze that that's there, and and uh, it's great because in that vision quest, there's this sort of door into this whole other world. Um, that it, it's interesting, you know, um, that interview that I heard the other day, where, where with Jordan Peele, one of the things I thought was really interesting when he was. um, asked about um, you know movies that he really liked I think or something or inspirations and um, one of the things he listed was um, Alien and um, and uh, you know he he called it one of the great greatest horror movies of all time Um, which I think is a great answer because it's it's sort of like there's something um, sort of more popular pop culture in a way about that than other answers you could have given um Right. And I do think I think that's one of the things I love about Peel is he walks the line between art film and pop pop popular film, 
Yeah. And I think really, really deftly. Yeah, really, yeah. Very deftly, very deftly um, in a way that's, that's, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's rare. Some of the greatest directors he's been compared to Hitchcock. Right. And I think that's in that sense, yeah. it's a great example because that was Hitchcock, right? He was a very popular director who was just a brilliant artist. And, um, but, but to come back to alien, I, I, one of the things that struck me was he said, he mentioned that he thought that was one of the great horror films. And he said, um, that's what I like to do is to create a totally unique world. And I thought, you know, that's really interesting because in a way, that seems to be kind of almost absurd comparison, right? Because <laughs> you know that movie really is this totally sci-fi, literally this almost literally this other other world. Whereas this movie, both of his movies are in some ways familiar territory. But um, yeah. but I think he does create his own kind of world. And I, and and I, when I think back to Get Out, the first few seconds of Get Out really had me. I just just the way. That just the that the tone, atmosphere, timing, and the way the camera was moving, I just was sucked right into that movie. Um, and and he does, and so I thought this movie too. He does a great job of creating a world, even if it's, if it's a familiar world in some ways. That's what makes it so uncanny because it's both familiar and strange. Um, and so the opening, just the, just looking into some of the opening, I just wanted to think about some of the opening shots and some of the opening uh, motifs of the film for a second, because I think that's where you're introduced to this world. So um, we were talking about that, that great uh, whole intro scene, which is almost like a little short story or a little short film, um, yeah. the carnival scene, and then that um, shaman's vision quest. Um, and one of the, you know, I mean, some of the great things about that, um, the little girl, getting lost and going into the, you know, that, that vision quest is sort of like on the, it's, it's like in the backside of the carnival. Yeah. It's like kind of on the beach. It's like a weird walk away facing the other way in this kind of back alley. And that scene is just a great, I mean, it's just a virtuosic scene. So she goes back there, she gets lost even to the little details. Like, um, you get this shot, uh, a kind of middle distance shot, of her back looking at this uh, little fun house, you know, and, and it, and it's just the shaman's vision quest. It's just like a little fun house thing, but just the shot gives it all this suspense, a little bit of horror and mystery yeah. her back looking at it, gives you her perspective. And then she drops her candy apple and the camera jumps down to a strange POV shot in the sand with the candy apple in the foreground and her walking into the door in the background. And I thought right away, one of the interesting things about that, that low shot is that it suddenly changes the whole, it distorts your whole perspective of the scene where the candy apple, since it's right in front of the camera is bigger than the doorway she's going into. And, um, and then she walks in to the, to this door, which is obviously a kind of going down the rabbit hole. And she goes into this hall of mirrors through the looking glass and then the next cut is to a rabbit right a bunny i i, I can't help but yeah seeing that resonate through the whole film right it's like right away he's he's taking you down the rabbit hole um and, and uh and that that mm-hmm. that 
that sh- just that shot, you know, that way, not just to make it a um, illusion, but to make you feel it where that shot in the ground with the candy apple on the door, you've got this distorted vision with all these things that come with that, the distortion, the, the, the childish perspective of looking up at this door, um, and then the strange changes in shapes and size going in. And then, of course, the Hall of Mirrors thing is another great scene, which alludes, I think, I, I can't help but thinking about um, Orson Welles as the lady from Shanghai. Um, hmm. And then... I haven't actually seen that one. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. The, the, the final scene is just one of the great scenes of this shootout that takes place uh, in this Hall of Mirrors. Uh, and then, Orson Welles can really nail a final scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, He's a master, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you get, so then you get, you know, just maybe walk through a little more, you get this cut to the bunny, which is a great cut. Like, what is that? Like, suddenly you're, you've got this horrifying moment and then you're cut to this little rabbit in a cage. Uh, And again, I think that like unconsciously sort of like suggesting the rabbit hole, the whole um, Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass thing, but then it starts to pan back and then you see another one, another one, another one. I think that's an interesting motion where this one little thing suddenly expands and it, and it's that expansion from the singular to the multiple uh, that obviously marks the whole movie. Right. Cause that's like, at one point it's the little kid, yeah. Jason, the son who says like, well, how many, how many of these others, these doubles are there, right? Like how many tether are there? And and that's when they're in the family and they realize that there's, there's not just them. It's, it's multiple people who knows all the country. I don't know everybody who knows, but that expansion yeah. to the multiple as itself somehow ominous, that expansion from the single to the multiple is suggestive and ominous. And then of course you cut to that scene of the family driving through the woods, going to their vacation home. And this probably yeah. a lot of people notice this, but I think it's worth mentioning that for me, especially there were two illusions that seemed very um, prominent in that. And they were the opening shot from The Shining, right? Yep. With this family also going to uh, a vacation home only here, a winter um, home where, you know, doubling, right, uh, is a big part of that film as well and being haunted by the past and all of these things um, that, that yeah. resonate with that. And the other thing, which is interesting because right away I thought funny games because um, funny games has that very first amazing, if you haven't seen funny games, I haven't. I'm oh, still yeah. too scared, man. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. You made me really too scared. Of yeah, it. it's it's tr- it is talking about trauma. It's traumatizing. Uh, so oh, be God. warned, trauma, trauma warning. Um, but it's an amazing movie, and the first shot is just absolutely unforgettable. There's something just so shocking about that first shot. Where's this family? They're in a they're in an SUV, and they're driving this beautiful German countryside. They're going to the vacation home. They've got like a boat trailing across behind the SUV and they're, they're, they're list they're playing a game. It's just them. They're just playing a game where they're putting on classical music, this beautiful different, and they're trying to other people in the car have to guess what song it is and who it is and stuff. Um, and yeah. it's just them driving along doing that. And then all of a sudden he plays this absolutely, um, violent, radical, heavy metal, screaming, uh, chaotic <laughs> music over it. And, it. and then he puts funny games in this red font over it. And it just, you just realize, holy shit, I'm in for a ride. Oh, um, awesome. With this movie. Um, 
but yeah. it's funny because you just told me, I didn't know this, but you just mentioned that, um, that apparently Jordan Peele had the cast watch funny games while they were preparing. Is that what you said? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, they, they watched a bunch of like really gnarly movies. Yeah. Uh, I actually have yet to watch one of the ones. The reason I brought up uh, I'm, I'm uh, another movie I'm scared to watch is Martyrs, which is a film yeah. about like people who are kidnapped and I heard about that. tortured yeah, I endlessly. And it's about like and like, yeah, like having like screws like mm-hmm. uh, uh, screwed into their heads <laughs> through some kind of like uh, uh, elaborate like mm-hmm. crown device. And it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Apparently that's. Um, wow. Like the uh, uh, it, it's but it's about like transcendence and all of this stuff. It's not just like you're yeah. like. A- that's really I find that really interesting because it was one of the first things I, I thought. It was uh, the, the, right away when I saw that, I thought um, The Shining, Funny Games. And it's really, that's a really, to me, that's a really interesting uh, pair of illusions happening in that first family shock because both of those movies uh, have a lot of resonance with the film. And in particular, Funny Games is all about the violence of the bourgeoisie. You know, the whole thing is like yeah. the bourgeoisie terroring, the bourgeois terrorizing the, and, and the, themselves, their own. Um, you know, their own class and like the, the vacation home and this kind of sense that that Han- Michael Haneke, the director, uh, is fascinated with is this violence underlying this security and comfort of the yeah. you know, class in the bourgeois capitalist bourgeois world. So yeah. I thought which was done yeah. uh, weirdly in a similar way uh, in uh, in The Purge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. With yeah. the uh, the bourgeois mm-hmm. kind of turning on each other. Right. And, uh, because right. of their like hidden appetite for violence. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel like the purge kind of uh, commodifies it in a sort of sense, right? Like it's it sort does. of like here's the pleasure of of watching that and living out that kind of fantasy, um, right? And then where whereas Hanukkah and and Peel, I think really haunt you with it. You can't escape it. You know, it, it just, it, it, you can't yeah. consume it. And so it, it's just there. That's uh, thoroughly unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I thought also that um, the references to the shining were interesting too, because to kind of go back to um, the talk about uh, the, the native American imagery um, at first, I think when I first saw this movie, I thought that the reference to the native American stuff was also a reference to <laughs> the shining because right. there's all those <laughs> theories about like, there's actually a good amount of, of native American imagery yes, in the shining. Right. And it's also about like the buried past, mm-hmm. um, returning. Um, and in both films, it's, it's, it's used as an allegory for the violence that was used to get to this position will be v- like, uh, if not in the real world, in the spiritual realm visited back upon us, <laughs> you know, and I love how, you know, one, one of my favorite things about that imagery of, of hands across the world is that it's literally a streak of blood mm-hmm. across right. the American countryside yeah. and just kind of labeling it and, and showing it for what it truly is. Uh, and yeah, that is just really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's like a gaping wound across imagery. the landscape, right? This, yeah. this line of red. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Figures. And uh, yeah. I thought that was also really interesting in uh, kind of something you were mentioning earlier, which is that spiritual suffering of capitalism is something that we also suffer. Like it, you know, like the, the person who suffers is also us. Mm-hmm. Like there is 
a, um, <laughs> you know, it's not just like another person like us is being harmed by doing these things. It's the, it's the daily active harm and trauma of like living under this system and, and reproducing this violence just by being, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, is one of the things that I feel like this film brings up because the person that suffers, um, is you and may as well be you and isn't you and all these things which are wrapped up in in the package of it being yeah the person who looks like you and and the person who says mm-hmm. you know uh, we're americans mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. and there's there's isn't there something i mean the whole ending is just really remarkable you know to come back to uh, that earlier part of the discussion, we're talking about the rhythm of the movie too, where it's like, it could have been this kind of home invasion type thing and they survive, uh, or whatever. And then it ends when they escape the house. And it's at that point where it expands out. And I think that's, what's great about Jordan Peele in this movie. And I think that's what was hard for a lot of people to accept in this movie is that like, he was just, I, I, I'm just not going to, um, put a cap on what I can do here, right? I'm just going to expand out and out and out and, um, and do something really big with this movie. And at that point, it, it really takes off into this unknown territory and explores some of those underlying themes more openly. Um, and, and also it becomes more in some way more direct and in some way more open and ambiguous, um, that, that the twist, like, it's really interesting um, what it means the end of the movie with the the last shot, and also what it means for Adelaide, and especially for uh, for um, her son, right? For Jason, it's a, that, that, yeah. that relationship is so interesting. It's such a central part of the film, and it's so unspoken. There's so many unspoken moments between the mother and the son, between looks and nods. You, we keep getting this sense that the son especially her children, but especially the son is just seeing her do too much violence, right? Like when she, she yeah. beats the, the, um, the neighbors, one of the Tyler twins yeah, to yeah. death right in front of him. And he's like looking at her and she's like, looks at him. And then he kind of like, looks like, okay, I'm okay with that. You know? Um, yeah. and, and, but she, he keeps seeing her, uh, create the, these more and more intense acts of violence. Um, and then, and then he um, is caught up, bound up in the scene where he kills his other, right? Because he kind of like mimics uh, the game to get him to light the fire and ends up getting him to light himself on fire, right? Yeah. And then so, so then they both have this kind of complicit violence. And then the last scene where they get in the car together, they you realize that you're now realizing that you get that flashback and you realize that she is in fact red and not Adelaide. Yeah. She's the doppelganger. She's the, the tethered one. And she looks at the sun and there's this knowing look between them. Yeah. It's so intense. It's really wild. And it's, you know, what does that mean? Does he know in some way or, and, and what does it mean for her to be red? Who's now out in the world with her family in this way that's, um, seen as a supposed successful ending for them. They're all surviving and moving on in some way um, from this. She's worked through her trauma, but she's, it's such a twist on the whole work with the trauma, right? Cause it's not her, it's red. It's the <laughs> reverse. Like she's actually 
in a way, she's relived the trauma, worked through it, but she's also done it through this revolution um, yeah. of the system. And I think that's a that's a really interesting ambiguity between the two the two of them. Um, and there's something about that both unspoken experience and um, and knowledge of it being able to confront yourself in some way that I think gives them some kind of knowledge, some kind of uh, um, power that they go on with, whatever that means. Very ambiguous. What does it mean? But it's there. Yeah. Well, I think also the lasting trauma in the sun is, is so noticeable as well. Like it's one of the major things that the film leaves you with, which is that like feeling that he's, you know, he was already kind of weird. And maybe like part of that is because mm-hmm. of, of the conditions under which his, his mother was, was raised until mm-hmm. she was uh, how many years old. Um, and I think that that is almost like a doubling in itself of uh, seeing like, of just her raising someone uh, and not having had yeah. that time in the world to be like that. Uh, which is really fascinating. And yeah, um, he's, at the same time. Right. Yeah. Cause he's, so he's now other too, right? Cause he's red son and not Adelaide's yeah. son and his other um, Pluto is, is Adelaide's son. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, those reversals and twists are, are great. I mean, it just has this. And so, and so I, I think that brings us to the, to the uh, last scene interesting way, because it really, again, I think that splitting and doubling makes that idea of looking within and looking without uncanny, you know, because the, they're not different in some way. You're always inextricable from the other and that looking at within without the uncanny thing is to see that in some ways they're not separate. Um, and and I think so. The end, right, is like we're we're saying. I think it's great that beautiful um, panning shot across this landscape. The, the the music is just perfect for it. Uh, yeah. And then that line of red figures, red suited figures with scissors holding hands, you know, scarring the line chain in this way. So I wanted to, I, I got the lyrics for that song because they're so relevant here. It's, I, it's just, just the tone of the song is beautiful too. You know, it gives you this yeah, sense of yeah. this air, this, this sense of flight and movement. And, uh, and also it has mm-hmm. this, it was, it was recent, I think in like 70, right around 1970. And it has this kind of sixties hippie ish, um, uh, uh, utopianism to it that's at, at yeah. once kind of like beautiful and creepy at the same time, especially from our. It's a little bit. It's like a similar tone um, to uh, downtown. Yeah, to me, um, it's, it sounds to me like downtown crossed with dawning of the age of Aquarius or something like that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that's a, that's a really good uh, description. Yeah, I listen to it while driving sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's great for when you're hitting the country roads. Uh-huh, right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so it, it gets that sort of like beautiful, like idealism and motion and this almost like sentimental sense of utopian hope. But, but then the lyrics are great too. So I wrote, I, I copied the lyrics. I mean, listen how perfect these are, right? Uh, well, the beginning is kind of like, and also the idea of the flowers, right? I think it's the plural, the name of the song, and it's about a flower yeah. and flowers. And I think back to that sense of the the individual and the collective and the multiple. But uh, the beginning's like, so, "Won't someone take me to the fair?" Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, so it's 
Uh, you should you should just go for it. Okay, yeah. so it's, I could I could maybe sing it from memory. <laughs> I won't sing it. I'll just read it. Uh, you don't want to hear me singing. Uh. <laughs> um, so you know, it starts out like, uh, will somebody wear me to the fair? Will a lady pin me in her hair? Uh, will a child find me by a stream? Uh, kiss my petals, etc. But then it says, for all these simple things and much more, a flower was born. It blooms to spread love and joy, faith and hope to people forlorn. Inside every man lives the seed of a flower. If he looks within, he finds beauty and power. You know, you have that motif of looking within and looking at yourself and pointing your finger at yourself is great there, right? So if he looks within, he finds beauty and power. Ring all the bells, sing, and tell the people that everywhere that the flower has come, light up the sky with your prayers of gladness and rejoice for the darkness is gone. Throw off your fears, let your heart beat freely at the sign that a new time is born. I think that's great. Yeah. Right? Like a new time is born. What, what new time? New is this, time. Uh, there's this sense of this. I feel like there's this sense of hope, a weird sense of hope juxtaposed on this image of these tethered creatures coming out and killing everybody. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it no, is, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's like a really powerful ending. Yeah, it really, really is. And the shot itself too like you have like a helicopter actually flying into the shot mm-hmm. yeah. and all this yeah uh yeah kind of yeah. Kubricky, a little bit of, it is it is right there's that just yeah. he's wonderful with the tone and time and like suggesting these things with images um that yeah. seem just dead on but also very subtle mm-hmm. um, i mean we didn't even get into how much uh like doubling imagery occurs in this movie mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's like the Jeremiah eleven eleven, yeah, right. which refers to a Bible verse, which is pretty good about like the end of the world. Uh-huh. Um, but it's also, it looks like, uh, you know, two people being mirrored. Right. That's right. Just the, just um, the image of eleven eleven, just the doubling of a doubling. Yeah. 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 And I also caught this time around, uh, someone was wearing a black flag t-shirt, um, which is the four bars. Uh, right. That's great. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> which is super sick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. No, yeah. Stuff like that. And then there's other moments where like, you know, there's lots of use of mirrors naturally in this mm-hmm. and like reflections. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have this extra added layer on top of that of, of uh, Lupita uh, reacting to seeing herself in the mirror. Um, and at first, like when I first saw the movie, it's like, oh, it's in horror. Cause she's like, oh my gosh, here's the return of the repressed. Mm-hmm. But, uh, watching it again, there's almost this like curiosity or this blankness, mm-hmm. uh, or something. And I realized that like, yeah, I was bringing so much mm-hmm. of it to the film that like, she might not be feeling this the same mm-hmm. way, which was, uh, a really, really cool to see that time around. Like, I think she notices herself in her like dancing mirror which ends up becoming uh, another really big part of the film is, is, is uh, like how red um, or how, you know, the, uh, the surface world Adelaide before she went under was so into dance mm-hmm. and how she was able to dance. Um, and that's maybe one of the reasons she shows so much mercy uh, to red, um, but also 
or to her other self, I guess, you know, but also one of the reasons that she's just so, so angry. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's interesting, right? Because it was like almost the implicit thing was like this like child psychiatrist says, you know, you've got to get her to tell her story. It doesn't matter how, whether it be, you know, art, drawing, dance, singing something. And so she does this spends her life doing dance and they mimic each other. Right. So they both have this dance now. Um, and, um, that that's right. And that, that's great. And that whole, of course, that whole scene where they confront each other is, is a, it is this wonderful, amazing scene where that was supposed to be this struggle, this fight scene, but it's structured by, by dance. And, um, yeah. Uh, I feel like if we ever have our, our eventual doppelganger knife fight in the sewer, it's going to be a lot clumsier than that. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, no ballet in that one, right? <laughs> I'll bring some moves, but they're not, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great that, you know, it's, it speaks to also, you were saying like that she, that, 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 identification between them has to do with why she's red is always seems to be sympathetic and sort of like holding back. Um, but they all do in some way. One of the interesting moments earlier was that um, one of the first things they end up asking once they, the dust settles of their shock of seeing these doubles, um, Gabe first says, what do you want? Right. What do you want? And I think that's a powerful yeah. question for this because it's kind of the question that you ask the other, right? Like, what do you want? That's the, that's, that's yeah. the sort of ontological question. And uh, Gabe assumes it's money, right? He says, you know, you can take the boat, uh, take me to an ATM, right. I'll get you some money. Um, and Adelaide it, um, is saying, Gabe, stop. But then she says, finally, well, what, you know, it's sort of like, well, what do you want then? Um, and <laughs> Red's response is, we want to take our time, which is a great response because it, it yeah. implies all these things about a enjoyment, like they're enjoying the actual act of doing this. And that's really uncanny, right? It's not just that they have to do something or they, they have some end. It's like, we want to enjoy this moment. And also to take our time is like, literally, we're going to take our time. This is our time that we're going to take back from you, which I think is a great yeah. metaphor throughout the film. It is. I actually, I feel really stupid. I hadn't put that together until now. Take our time <laughs> back. Take, you yeah. know, like take the time that we Lost, uh, deserve. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty good stuff. Oh, uh, also this is another one of the movies. Uh, this is another thing in common with another big movie from the 2010s uh, with the favorite of uh, oh, walking right. out of that movie and hearing people say, uh, what, 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 what was that about the bunnies? What were the bunnies about? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that is, that's right. That's great. I feel like rabbits are themselves uncanny. There's something just uncanny about rabbits. <laughs> really? yeah. Wait, can you explain that? <laughs> well, I mean, if you go from Alice in Wonderland, the white rabbit to uh, Lynch, right? The uh, Lost Highway and that whole, oh. I'm sorry, not Lost Highway. Uh, uh, Inland Empire. Inland Empire. And that whole rabbit scene and the rabbits, that he, which comes from his rabbit show, right? Which he had uh, that online yeah. film. Um, and um, uh, yeah. Just uh, uh, there's a great if you've ever seen Jens Fankmeyer's films, um, he has a great version of Alice in Wonderland that I think really 
drives home the uncanniness of the white rabbit and that. <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why. I think, but I think I'm convinced that they're just something uncanny about rabbits. Yeah, is it because they're <laughs> is it because they're dying and screwing all the time? <laughs> Probably something about that. I, I think people, there might be a little bit. Might be, and there is. We see ourselves in that. Here, they are uncanny though, too, right? Because they're like this weird in between between a familiar and a wild animal. Like they're they're like a cat. They're kind of cute and cuddly, but then they look at you and they have these black eyes that don't seem yeah. to register. And they 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 never yeah they're never really domesticated. Like people have them for pets, but they just sort of look at you like, "What the hell am I doing here?" Yeah, wait. Like, <laughs> they like seem to know they're in a cage, but they don't know it's uh, it's because we like them. Uh, yes. No, yeah, no. I, I, the, the symbols are deployed in really different ways too. I think in this movie, uh, to me, they read mostly as like a kind of doubling because rabbits are also used as test subjects, mm-hmm. and right. and their their lives are kind of arbitrarily thrown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a similar way to uh, like the people on the like the lowest rungs, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. who uh, kind of like lay the foundations of our society. Um, and in the favorite, it's I, I think it actually is more of like the kind of sexual aspect, um, but also in like the cheapness of human life. Uh, have you did you see the favorite? Yes, yeah, I love that. I think that's uh, amazing. So moving, yeah. That's <laughs> that's another episode. I think. Um, you inspired me for two future episodes, the enemy and the favorite for this. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh yeah. We got to do enemy, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I guess to wrap it, uh, I, we can finally come around to the long awaited, uh, audience reaction story oh, nice. that you've been, uh, holding from me, oh, yeah. uh, for <laughs> like three months. <laughs> you know, actually yeah. it's funny that you say that, you know, because we were talking about expectations, right? And I think that's interesting that you were mentioning this film. There's something about people's expectations and him disrupting those that people maybe didn't react so well to, because you only want your expectations played with so much and it can throw you off. And that reminded me of a, a, Another film that this is what I was thinking of earlier was um, Mother. Have you saw Mother, right? Uh, is that I actually have not. Oh yeah, um, director of Black Swan, right? Was that Aronofsky? Yeah, Aronofsky. Or? Yeah, Aronofsky's uh, movie Mother. Um, yeah, I liked it. I think it's a good movie. Um, I I I don't know. It's another discussion. I kind of <laughs> I have mixed feelings about Aronofsky, but anyway, it was interesting because. Um, when I saw that movie, I before I saw the movie, I just ha- had all this. I heard all this crazy stuff about it, and uh, a friend of my old friend of mine online uh, just went crazy on Facebook, just like tearing the movie apart. It was not just the movie, but it was like. Wow. The maddest I've ever seen anybody at a director. Furious at Aronofsky. Why did you do this? Like, what? I this is not like. And I, I to this day, I'm not exactly sure what it was that was so upsetting <laughs> to this person. But it had to do. She was saying something about like presenting the movie the wrong way, like presenting it as one thing and doing something else, and being so upset. And then, and then we went to to see the movie in the theater, and so I was like really interested. Like, what is this movie that? Pro- provoked this kind of absolutely infuriated response, this kind of rage and, and which the movie and after the movie, um, people were, some people were really upset. And, and I have this distinct memory of this, um, 
this this woman standing in the aisle sobbing and oh, wow. just really really ranting and saying i can't believe aronofsky did this like to me i i i i, I just can't understand it and i'm so upset and uh, and i i just it it always resonated with me as a strange thing because I, <laughs> I i i i guess you haven't seen it it is kind of a traumatic movie it's a scary movie it's an upsetting movie it has to do with uh there's yeah. a lot of violence i mean there's like an eating of a infant involved and stuff <laughs> but uh, it's a horror right. movie and I, like i don't i don't know why like yeah. uh, like why more than any other horror movie i mean there's movies like you know heredity uh, hereditary was so traumatically disturbing and and um oh my god right? and but but i, I so yeah. i've been fascinated but what is it about the expectation of that movie that people had versus the reactions at least in my experience that i saw what was that right i still don't know what was that crazy disconnect that people, what were they expecting is it they thought it was going to yeah. be like a disney animated film or something <laughs> <laughs> well i had jennifer lawrence so it was going to be like wholesome and interesting is that, and, it? And is that what it was do you think I, Maybe, maybe I I know. Like, um, I I envy. I uh, I really, really want to know like more accounts of people who went to yeah. see like Uncut Gems just because it was like an Adam Sandler film. Yes, that's that's <laughs> that's a good example. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's that kind of same deal. Where I wonder. Yeah. Which I walked out of. By uh, the way. You walked out of Uncut yeah, Gems. Yeah, I'm famous for watching walking out of movies. All my friends are like, "Did you? You psychopath? Yeah, I know it's crazy. Why did you wait? I, just, I, 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 I just sometimes I just I, I'm in a movie and I'm just like I, I can't handle watching this movie. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> can't do this right now. Yeah, <laughs> that that one in particular had to do with the camera. It just was driving me crazy. That that <laughs> you know I, that like really yeah like crazy like half diagetic yeah. yeah. Uh, it, you you end up. I mean, maybe on home video it actually would yeah, be an easier maybe watch. I should, yeah, uh, you really got to man. It's it's uh, <laughs> that is one of my favorite theater experiences oh, I've ever really? had. But that okay. that, that, that yeah, uh, the ending like as you get into the rhythm of it, as you like uh, uh, begin to like get the feel, and it also does calm down after like the first half hour, okay. uh, at least in memory. Um, but the climax. Like there were literally people like standing up and sitting down and like their hands were going like wow. this and like people were like yelling and like <laughs> it was nuts. It was it was completely unhinged. People, I, people were like visibly sweating and like taking off layers. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was I that, I that movie. That. You know, it was it was pretty visceral in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, For the people that yeah. stuck around, yeah. like it just. Yeah, that was bonkers yeah. um i'll tell one one story before we uh -huh. cap it of uh the last movie i saw before um the pandemic shut everything down uh was actually was called uh, the assistant um and uh if I, I if i think if i hadn't watched that the last movie i saw would have either would have been rise of skywalker uh -huh. which uh, would have been terrible <laughs> uh but the assistant is this really really downplayed um indie film about like kind of complicity in sexual violence when you're working within uh, a hierarchy of, of especially like Hollywood talent. Mm -hmm. um, it's really like interesting yeah. nuanced take on yep. the kind of me too era and everything. Um, and I'm going to spoil it right here, but uh, the main character can't lead herself to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, the kind of her last thing that she does is she specifically 
she like finds a diner that has an angle on the guy's office because she's never seen any of the sexual exploitation happening. She can only kind of guess at it through like sounds and emails mm-hmm. and and talk around the office. And she gets an angle on his office window and she sees him doing it. And she just kind of like, mm. she, she, you, you don't know. There's an alterity there. Like her, her face oh. doesn't give a lot away. Mm. Um, and the movie ends and, uh, you know, we walk out. It was at the Hollywood Theater and uh, there were people standing around like, I just don't get it. Like, why didn't she do anything? You know, like, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> and it was so funny. All these people like um, which, who were so mad at it for uh, like, why didn't she like be the hero? Why didn't she like do what I would do in that situation? Right. And it's like, like for one, like, would you? And like yeah. two, right. like that's, right. you know, that's not, that's not what, what this is saying. Yeah. Um, like we'd really like to think that we'd be able to do that, but like uh, job security and, and um, yeah, like a kind of loyalty to an industry and, and a fear of the unknown, like, yeah are so many things that contribute to, you know, uh, oppressed people's, uh, suffering and oppressed people like hurting each other because mm-hmm. the main character is a woman. And yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah people, they weren't having yeah. it. They were pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really interesting. And it's, uh, yeah, it comes back to the McGowan thing. Right. And we shield our eyes from the gaze, right? Like that's we shield our eyes. Yeah. Like that's the, that, that's a, it sounds like a great image of the gaze where suddenly, you know, looking in, you realize that, that there's more to the scene than the objective reality seemed to show that it's sort of like, it's, it's distorted in itself. Right. And yeah. we don't want to see that as an audience or some people don't want to see that. They want to shove their eyes from the gaze and live in a world where it's clear cut, um, you know, that, that there's a, there's a simple resolution to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a simple and, and like we just kind of talked about in episode zero, people want catharsis in their art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of those things that I think uh, is, is anti-action and, and, and kind of counter-revolutionary where uh, people ask for a resolution so that they can like sleep well at night. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like a lot of the other movies we've already talked about, um, the this movie is also open ended, yeah. where it's like it 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 kind of poses the question to you. It like it makes it linger in your mind mm-hmm. of not just like what are you going to do about it, but like what do you think about all this? Yeah. Like yeah. you know what yeah. uh, what what does this mean to you mm-hmm. specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think that's right. How are you? How are you complicit in this? What does it mean to you? Um, how does it change you or does it change you in some way? Well, I think that concludes episode three. Absolutely. I think, <laughs> I think that that does it for the, for us for now. Anyway, I'm sure we'll come back in future episodes. Oh yeah. Very soon too. Yeah. Uh, I imagine. So we got, we got this, this was a little bit of a delay between this episode and some others. 
but you know, like uh, it's we're gonna do this on our own time. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of podcasts to do it that way. Uh, <laughs> yes. We're busy people. Yeah. Plus it's summer. <laughs> but stay tuned. Plus we'll it's be summer. back soon. Certainly will be. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your day, man. All right, Thomas. Good to talk to you, as always. <laughs> yeah, good to talk to you too, as always. All right. Bye bye. Peace. Over and out. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.